This episode of the 343 podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics is offering you an additional 10% discount because they know that you are serious about high-quality soccer products if you are listening to this show. Training balls from Bounce Athletics can be customized with your logo and your color scheme and will only cost you about $15 to $20 per ball. And if you compare similar textured training balls from Nike, Adidas, or Select, those would be in the $50 to $60 range. Now, I've personally tested the balls from Bounce Athletics. They feel great. They look great. They roll great. They hold air, which is super important. They are legit, and I highly recommend them. To top everything off, Bounce Athletics will send you complimentary mock-ups of what your balls will look like with your logo on them. Just email your logo to info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. And remember to mention 343 so you get that additional 10% discount when you place your order. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I am incredibly excited to bring you this episode today. The guest on this show is Mika Ilovara, and he is a former Finnish professional soccer player. He also played college soccer here in the United States. He got his coaching start in Finland before moving back here to America to continue coaching and continue the education process that we must go through as coaches. So it should be no surprise that him and I actually talk a lot about education in this. Um, Mika is an advocate for formal and informal education. And we talked about, man, a ton of stuff, what education really means. Uh, you have to be able to know who and what you are learning or sorry, what you are learning and who you're learning it from. You have to read more to know what else is out there. I'm just reading some of the notes that I have written down on my uh, on my note cards that I had when I was talking to him. He talks about how you as a coach are the conduit between information and the players, and you have to be able to connect that. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, I, I can't even begin to describe how excited I am about this episode. It probably takes about 15 minutes for us to kind of get um, get some traction and get past the the normal, you know, who are you, what do you do, where are you from type thing. But once we get past all that, man, pure gold. So I'm excited to share this episode with you. If you want to connect with uh, with Mika, I've linked to his Twitter where he admittedly, um, he said that he's not very active on there, but it's a good way to just connect with him and then find out where you can find more of his work or what he's up to from there. So I provided a link to that on 343coaching.com. And if you are interested in diversifying your coaching education, I would highly recommend the 343 membership program. It's a program that I am a part of. It's a program that I found after many, many years of searching for all kinds of different coaching education platforms, videos, YouTube, DVDs, books, all kinds of crap. I, sort, I, I sorted through all of that and I landed on the 343 coaching premium membership as the best place for me to educate myself. And that's why I highly recommend it. It teaches you a proven possession-based methodology, which comes directly from one of the best coaches in American soccer. And when you sign up, 
You get instant access to videos of real games and real training sessions that help you learn how to coach possession soccer yourself. You also get 24-7 online access to ebooks, audio lessons, recorded classroom presentations, on-field clinics, and access to members-only forums for networking and sharing ideas with other 343 coaches. Now, Mika and I talk about the importance of diversifying your coaching education, and this is just one easy way that you can do that by learning from a proven practitioner that has experienced the American landscape himself and has decided to show all of the work that went into it. So it's a very unique and interesting way to get education that is often not available for coaches. So the 343 coaching membership, all of the benefits and all the information about that can be found at 343coaching.com. It's an incredible value. It's only $295 for 365 days of access, an entire year of access. So that is a fraction of the price of what other coaching education courses cost or just education in general in the United States is super expensive. So $295 for that, an incredible deal. You can find all the benefits and all the details about that program on 343coaching.com. All right. Um, I hope you're ready for it. This is one of the favorite, my favorite episodes that I've ever recorded, and I'm excited to share it with you. And I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Mika Ilavara. All right, you you ready? Yeah, let's totally just, ready. Let's let's get into it right away. Um, okay. Let's see if uh, let's let's plan for thirty minutes, and if we go a little bit longer, um, that's that's totally fine with me. I just I want to make sure I respect your time. So is, is thirty to forty five minutes pretty good? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm ready for whatever it takes. I I have a bad habit of uh, enjoying conversations with people, so um, <laughs> you know who knows how long it's going to be. Perfect. So you can cut me off. I I will totally uh, respect that too. Perfect. So. No, all good. Um, okay, let's uh, let's start with a little bit about your background and and who you are. I have a mm-hmm. I have a sneaking suspicion that you aren't that you aren't from the United States, but maybe you can confirm or deny that, and uh, <laughs> and and then we can kind of go from there. Most certainly, yes. So I'm originally from Finland um, and have lived in the States for 12 years now. Um, I originally came here for college and played college uh, soccer, then uh, went back home, and then uh, we moved back to the States in 2007 uh, with my wife and my kids. So, uh, But yes, sir, I'm originally from Finland. What a... What made you choose to come to the United States for college? Was it an education decision or was it a soccer decision or a combination of both? It was definitely a combination of both. Um, my parents always raised me um, with a certainty of the importance of education in mind. You know, they said that you can dream as much as you want in terms of uh, having a tremendous career as a professional soccer player, but you have to take care of education. And I, I also think that in, in some ways, my, my older sister, who's the only sibling that I have, uh, just watching her and, and she was friends with a lot of uh, professional or future professional hockey players and soccer players and, and being able to interact with them and kind of seeing the different trajectories of their careers. You know, some some had nothing when they had a career ending injury and, and, and others pursued education and, and sports and then others went on and, and had great careers including in the nhl so I, I think i had some you know other than the parents i had some some very uh good role models around me um really kind of by accident but but the decision to come over to the states 
and go to college and, and play college soccer. It was definitely based on that, but it was also something that I'd always thought that it would be would be exciting and interesting to see what it's like. I mean, obviously, you know, a little over 20 years ago now, um, things were very different in terms of information or even having access to videos of games and everything. And um, I had a couple of older players in my hometown who had done that, and it started to intrigue me. And, and then it was just a matter of really deciding I'm not giving up on my career um, in terms of a soccer player, but I, I want to be smarter and perhaps different about it because, you know, many of my former teammates, they, they wanted to put all of their eggs in that basket and see how far could they go with soccer. And, and again, I mean, there's a range of destinations and, and careers in terms of where they went. Um, and it was me and, and a couple of others who, who started to think like, well, you know what? Let's uh, let's check out this uh, college soccer card, if you will, and, and see what it's like. And I mean, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I I love my time in college and college soccer. And like I said, I I didn't feel like I gave up on the dream to go back to Europe and play, but I, I felt great about also getting a great education while playing at a pretty high level. So, where where did you go to college? Uh, UNC Wilmington. Okay. Okay. So. And when you when you finished there, did you go back and did you try to pursue the the playing career? Yeah, in Europe? yeah. Go? So I mean, yeah, no, it it went very well. Um, I ended up playing five more seasons uh, in the Finnish second and first division, so the the second highest level and the third highest level. And and uh, at that point, um, although I had opportunities to sign elsewhere, uh, primarily in Finland, uh, there's a couple of clubs in northern Sweden that I also had negotiations with. I always ended up signing with teams in my hometown as my wife and I wanted to be close to family, especially for me after being in the States for four years. And, and it was also a matter of who I got to play with. Um, you know, I mean, part of it was also, it was exciting to go back and play for the club that gave me my first chance as a, as a first team player when I was still an academy player. Uh, but the other part of it was also... We, we had, especially in my first year coming back from college, uh, the, the club was really heavily investing into, they were really going to try to get promoted from the second division. So they, they brought a lot of guys back who'd gone elsewhere. And then they had a core of young players coming up through the ranks, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds. And so we were completely homegrown. And signing with them was exciting. You know, I get to play with some of the guys that I grew up playing with, but also some of the kind of the next group of guys who still had even more of their careers ahead of them. So, so um, that's that was my first after, in terms of after college uh, playing for that team. And I mean, that was, as I mentioned to you when we were talking ahead of time a little bit, um, that was one of the most important moments for me as a player that ended up becoming very influential for me as a future coach as well. So that, that first season. It sounds like it's it was almost like a reunion of some sorts of, of the guys that you had grown up playing with, and I'm sure the familiarity between or amongst the players that were coming back together, even after being apart for several years, probably was a, was a big advantage as a, as a team or as a, as a club to have that familiarity. Was that something that you guys 
or is that even true? What was there a, a, a sense of familiarity? Fami- I can't even talk familiar. I'm not even going to try to say it again. <laughs> uh, no, no, I totally understand what you're saying. I, yeah. I mean, and, and really, I mean, if, if I, you know, fast forward real quick to present day, I mean, for me, team level communication is of the highest order in, in terms of coaching. And, and so, you know, thinking about that at that point, I didn't know as much as I know now about, you know, football theory and, and, and coaching and all of that. But for sure, I, I would say that the familiarity was an important aspect of one, just signing and knowing like, hey, you know, we get to play together again. Because when, when we were in the, uh, the uh, Finnish Sporting Academy system, um, you know, we won three national championships and, and some of the best players, you know, they went to EPL, Bundesliga, Dutch Eredivisie. And, and uh, then some of, some of the others, like myself, you know, we had a decent career, but not anywhere near as lucrative as some of the others. But to be able to go back and, and play with guys that you had been successful with in the past and then combined with the with the younger guys, it, there was definitely, I mean, it was it felt like reinvigorating, if you will, even though we didn't feel like our careers were fading in any way but but um and then when you think about the success we had that year i mean that year we went undefeated through the regular season um we didn't win straight promotion because we had too many draws um so we went through the playoffs and 90 plus four minutes is when we lost the only game in the last game of the playoffs and we we didn't get promoted but i had so much fun playing um playing with the guys that we played with but more importantly also the style of play we controlled each game with the ball we we played possession style when it was not yet the trend if you know what i mean and and just you know playing with guys you grew up with and and with some young guys who had high career aspirations and youth national team experience and and then from that team after that season i mean unfortunately because we didn't get promoted that team pretty much went all over the place. Some of the younger guys moved on to, like one of them signed with Glasgow Rangers. One of them went to Borussia Mönchengladbach. And, you know, one went to, I, I forgot what, which club it was in Dutch Eredivisie, but he, he signed with them. So as frustrating as it is to look back on, you know, if we'd only won that one game, who knows what would have been the next season. Um, it, it's still one of, the, one of the seasons that I look back at. And I, I think of, what is possible when you have the right type of combination of players and, and familiarity and all of that. So, And you mentioned something earlier that you had gone back to your hometown and, and mm-hmm. that, that played a big part in that as well. But something that stuck that, that stood out to me is that you mentioned that you had signed with multiple teams in your hometown. It's so like multiple contracts, it sounded like, and it kept you close to home. So I, yes. I, I, I was curious about how many how many professional teams, either first, second, third division, how many professional mm-hmm. teams existed in your hometown and what was the size or, or the, the demographic? Yeah, so my, my hometown, Olu, is really, I mean, when it comes to sports, it's known for quality of soccer and quality of hockey. Um, and then so, like, for soccer, e- even to this day, there are at least four, I think actually five clubs that are between the first, second, and third division um so there's you know there's always competition there's always i mean i think it's very typical for any of the bigger european towns you know there's there's clubs that are trying to get promoted clubs that are trying to stay up and 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 um for me i i ended up playing for three different clubs 
Um, initially, I signed, like I said, I signed with with the club that I played for when I was growing up, and and then uh, after that, I signed for another one, um, signed up for the first division, and then the last one, which was interesting, was more of a like a, which I, I think you see in some parts of of Europe, especially in in you know outside of the kind of the big countries of Europe in terms of soccer. Uh, clubs that are merging, and and I played for one of those merger clubs uh, for my last season. But so I ended up playing for three, uh, one of whom didn't exist um, before. You know, I played the first ever season, and they're they're still around. They're they're still in the first division, and they they they're always fighting for promotion, but they haven't been promoted uh, for for some time now. So, where did you get your start with coaching? Did you start in Finland, or did you just come back to the United States? Yes, yeah, so. Yeah, so I um, I started coaching back home. Um, it was uh, the the season after I had retired from playing, and and uh, I started coaching on the U17 academy team um, for the club that I played for when I was younger. And, and um, it was really, uh, I would say, the best possible kind of spot to start with. Um, you know, I was given given the I think. A, a pretty big responsibility of being the head coach for the U17s in in a club where you're already expected to to develop players for the first team. The academy director was a former coach of mine, and he was actually the the head coach of the first team when I played my first game for the first team as a 17 year old. Yeah. And then then the um, the first team head coach had also been my coach when I was a youth player. So the familiarity of working with and for those two in my first three seasons as a coach, I think was very, very um, helpful in, in many ways because it was two people that I really respected a lot. I mean, they're both UEFA pro-level coaches and the familiarity that I had with them, I'd been a captain for both of their teams. So we had the right type of relationship, if you will, from the beginning in terms of I obviously respected them tremendously, but they also respected me. They they recruited me to go and be the U17 head coach. Uh, I actually ended up coaching one one game for the first team because the head coach got suspended and the, the academy director was away with his team. So I got a little bit of a trial by fire there. And I think it actually, in an interesting way, it does describe my kind of organic development as an educator to you know on the one hand i've had the formal path in education because i believe in it and i think it's it's very valuable and important but on the other hand i've had moments where it's been more like all right let's see what comes out of it you know so um but yes so i I got my start in finland um coached there for three years prior to moving to the states I'm really curious how the transition happened between your retirement as a player to mm-hmm. it sounds like one year off and then coaching at the yeah. 17 level and and yeah. I guess one one thing that I I'm I'm curious that you, maybe you can talk about is mm-hmm. the education that you received here in the United States was more of that formal formal college mm-hmm. um, uh, education yeah. when when or did it did at all coaching education come into your life and did you have to acquire any licenses or badges before taking over as the U17 uh, Academy coach? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very important um, aspect of every coach's development to, to consider how the transition, if you've played, how, how the transition went and, and, you know, 
I, I think there may be some, you know, in sharing the stories, I think there may be some some kind of helpful tools even for those who are still playing and considering coaching career after. But so for me, my, what was supposed to be my last year of playing um, ended up not being it because, again, the, the year we had, and I played for a Dutch guy called Theo de Jong, um, who with his brother came and actually bought the club that I had already signed with. And Theo de Jong played in the 1974 World Cup final uh, with Johan Cruyff and, and, and the rest of them. And having someone like him as a manager um, left an indelible mark on me as a player, not because of his prestige, you know, he's played in the World Cup final, but because of him coming in and saying, we're going to play total football. And everybody's kind of laughing, like, really, you're going to make this Finnish first division guys play total football? But sure enough, I mean, what we did in training, how he approached the game, how he taught the game to us and what he expected of us, um, that was probably the most important season in terms of me as a player and how how excited it got me about coaching. So I ended up playing one more year because of how much I enjoyed that season, even though I'd already told my wife too that I'm going to hang up the boots. Um, and then so... That was kind of the final, final, um, like I knew after that, I knew not only that I definitely want to see um, what kind of coach can I become, how, how far can I pursue the coaching career, but, but I also had a really good idea after that, like how I want to approach uh, coaching. So you know, in, and as often works in Europe, you, you have to have a certain license so that you can coach on a certain level. So when I agreed to be the U17 Academy coach, um, I had to also agree to go and, and get my UEFA B done. And because of my player background, I was waived straight to B, which I think is still the case pretty much everywhere, um, including in the United States. Um So, but I did have to go and, and, and get my B license and that while the formal aspects of that course I thought were very important for me as I was, you know, a first year coach, um, it was another great experience kind of informally too, because some of the guys who were at that course again had played on a on a far higher level than I ever did in, in Europe. And then they came back and they were also starting their careers. So it was literally twenty four seven um around the clock why would you go to bed when you have a chance to talk with this guy about formations and styles of play and et cetera. So um, that really kind of triggered my, my, I, I think development as a coach, because on the one hand, the foundation for it was laid in my youth years. And then some of those years that I've just described in terms of my, my senior playing career. Um, but then I also, knew that the the formal aspect of education would be important to to really create a more solid foundation for for me as a coach hey sit tight we are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor bounce athletics as a part-time doc i had a budget and you know we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent high quality affordable training balls that's zach He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. 
We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods, and and I think we've really got it dialed in to to where now you know with with our training balls we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. Where did you take your B license? Uh, back home in Finland. Okay. So it was a, my, so my first license was the UEFA B course. Yeah, the reason why I ask is because a lot of Americans, for whatever reason, seem to get into courses in... Oh, where, why, why am I blanking on this? They either go to Ireland or Scotland, I believe. And, yeah. And that seems to be the place that is the most welcoming to American coaches. And maybe not most welcoming, but it just seems to yeah, be no, e- easier yeah. to access. And right. I, I'm just I'm always curious about the potential variety of of education when it comes to like a UEFA mm-hmm. B course because it's obviously yeah. every country in Europe has its own style and yeah. um, you know it might be different taking it in Spain versus taking it in England For versus sure. taking it in Finland so I'm I'm, yeah. I'm always curious about that yeah 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 I mean I, and I would imagine that it's changed quite a bit since since I took it as well I mean certainly the A license um has also changed in terms of just how they now um have have extended the time period which i i i personally i think for the evolution of a coach i think is is uh the the best way to do it um instead of the intensive 10-day courses for example i think the the extended period of time that allows for reflection which i think is an important part of of learning and 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 um education in general so um i would imagine that not only the 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 differences between the different countries, but also how how different countries have also, um, if not revamped, but certainly at least revised how they how they go about teaching those licenses. So another another thing I'm interested in talking to you about is I noticed mm-hmm. in your Twitter bio it says yeah. that you're a PhD. So yeah. at what point did you complete that, or when did you go back to school, or did did you have that upon returning back to Finland? Yeah. So. Um, it is a, um, I mean, I think it's a very typical story, I guess, of of who I am or what am I like, um, because when I was still playing, um, and I had, as as I mentioned, you know, since childhood, I I had really been ingrained in the idea of the importance of education, and and I really, I've always loved learning, um, and I know it's a it's a cliche to be a lifelong learner almost, but. But so when I was still playing, I started thinking, well, I've spent most of my life combining academics and, and athletics and and I need some more stimuli from me in terms of reflection, in terms of um, the brain than just, you know, doing two hours of training every day. Um, so I started to get my master's degree while I was still playing soccer and then. Um, once I was done with my playing career, um, it took two more years and I started getting my PhD. And then as soon as I was done, or I was all my dissertation. So I was almost done with my PhD when I got the job offer from UNCW. Um, so that was part of the reason why we moved, um, back over to the States. I got the job offer and, and, uh, 
I couldn't couldn't say no. It was it was uh, that exciting as an opportunity. So, but but the pursuit of the PhD, um, it's very similar to I'm, I'm very competitive. So part of it, as as strange as it may sound, but I always kind of felt like I would want to go for a PhD because I I would want to feel that I've gone through the the process of being as educated as I can be while understanding that once I reach that level it doesn't mean that I'm done in any way but but um so that's part of it um the pursuit of knowledge um but also I also felt like if I'm going to be a coach or or a teacher I always felt that um my qualities and 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 the the type of educator that I am are perhaps the most suited for the 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 higher levels so college and graduate school or high level academy and professional or division one if if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, so there's a kind of the combination of driven and the thirst of knowledge but also understanding that if you want to pursue the highest level in the long run, you're going to also have to take the appropriate formal steps, hence the UEFA B. And then as soon as I, pretty much as soon as I had gotten over here and started coaching, I also knew that I want to go and get the U.S. Soccer Federation B because I would have to get that second B license only in order to get the A license if I wanted to do that in the States. So that's why I have the UEFA B license and the U.S. Soccer Federation B license. Um, and the irony of that, of course, is that I have a PhD, but I'm not educated enough to to um, coach. Like I could not be the the head coach right now for the Richmond Kickers, where I'm the assistant coach. So, <laughs> so there's there is uh, certainly um, a plan for me to complete my A course um, as soon as I can. I would say, but but um, who knows when that actually is going to happen? I I was already signed up for it in 2012 when I took the job as the director of girls soccer at Shattuck St. Mary's, but at that point, the um, athletic director at Shattuck said, uh, "That's not a good timing right now. We need you here." So, seven years later, I still don't have it. So, Man, that's, <laughs> there that's you crazy go. how that works out, huh? Like just I know, right? And it, yeah, I, I don't want to dive down that rabbit hole. Actually, I've talked about that too many times on the, on yeah. the podcast. Um, I yeah, do, I, I do have a very specific question to ask you, though. Mm-hmm. During your, you know, your pursuit of of knowledge and your pursuit of education mm-hmm. how or or did you ever r- start to think about what type of information you wanted to consume and, and did you ever start to rule out certain types of information as not being necessary to your journey or did you ever deem you know certain uh certain aspects of the education more beneficial to your your career or your career path than, than other pieces of information. I don't know if that's the right way to ask the question, but it's just, there's so much information out there for people to consume. And mm-hmm. sometimes people can be overwhelmed by all of it. And they can also become distracted by how much is out yeah. there. And it, it yeah. really doesn't be, it, it becomes, um, yeah. It, instead of becoming a benefit of all this knowledge, it becomes just a, a hindrance. So I'm, I'm curious about how, how maybe you decided what to consume and what not to consume. Right. Um, no, I'm, I think I perfectly understand what you're asking, and, and I, I hope I'll be able to answer the question. So there's, there's a couple of things that I think of. Uh, one, just uh, when it comes to the formal path and, and 
Um, so my master's degree, um, I actually have almost a double master's in, in pedagogy and English philology. Um, I don't have the thesis for, for education or pedagogy. So therefore I don't have the degree, but, but, um, so I, I spent a lot of time, um, just learning about and, and taking courses in education and, and, um, you know, sociology of education and, and philosophy of education. And, and it was during those courses that I started to formulate more of the idea of what education really means and, 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 uh, the different approaches to education. And the first time I was faced with, with, the uh, the kind of the task of you have to be able to know what you're going to read and, and why, uh, was when I actually, I decided to do my master's degree, um, as a comparative, um, my master's thesis, rather, um, a comparative study between, uh, the soccer culture in the U S and the, the soccer culture in, in England. Cause you know, as, as we, we all know, it's the people's game everywhere in the world, but then the demographics of the game in the U S are quite different. Um, and combining the academics and soccer obviously made a lot of sense, but for the academic study, I had to be really specific in terms of what am I going to read so that it's actually going to take my research, uh, forward so that I'm making progress as opposed to just reading everything because I enjoy reading about soccer. Um, so there's been a narrowing down process in, in that stage for me, um, and it comes with the understanding of you have to read more than you're going to actually end up using um, in order to know what all is out there. But then you have to be selective with either the, the sources or the topics that they, they keep it somewhat confined. And I was actually faced with the same exact task because once again, when I'm doing my PhD dissertation and I could have done it for, you know, on so many different topics, but what really uh, was kind of on top of my my uh, thinking at that point was a recent experience when I translated the the biography of Sami Hupia, who was the captain of Liverpool and one of the best ever players for Finland. I translated his published biography from Finnish to English for a British publisher. And I remember when I was typing away, pounding on my keyboard and thinking, really, who cares? Other than Other than the... The fact that Sami Hupia was a great player, uh, a very respected leader, and and in all ways uh, uh, an athlete that a lot of young young athletes should look up to, but there was nothing that exciting or interesting or different about his life. And then it just dawned on me that well, a lot of people care just because he just happens to be the captain of Liverpool. Um, and then, but I started asking more questions in terms of well, why do people idolize athletes? really no matter what, whether they're, whether they're, you know, quote unquote boring or whether they're like George Best, who's the polar opposite or whatever it may be. And, and so when I, I decided to do, um, case studies of modern athletes as quote unquote heroes for my dissertation. And as soon as I, as soon as I decided on that topic, um, the two people who were co-chairing my committee were like, okay, so how are you going to narrow this down? Because it's the whole world out there. So I was faced with the same situation again, and I had to decide, okay, I'm going to have to do some research on, okay, why these sports, why these athletes, and then what, what about them is going to be um, the type of sources that I 
um, should use in order to to do the type of research and to do the type of analysis that I can. So I know this is a long answer, John. No, keep uh, going, keep going. It's but, but um, there there is a common thread because for me, then you know, in the world of academics and in academia, if you will, I I've always been an advocate of if I'm writing something, it needs to be um, readable and digestible to a broader audience than just academia. Because if, if academia writes only for academia, then what pursuit of knowledge is that? What use is that information if um, the lay audience cannot read about it? So for me, that is analogous to coaching. If, if I'm, if I, let's say I'm watching the, the endless videos on Twitter or if I'm reading the, the endless blog posts or, or, you know, consuming information or consuming writing, um, the most important question I have to ask myself, how is that going to help my players? Because if it's not, why bother? And sometimes it may be I, I watch a higher level coach, coach, and then I get an idea from there. And then I go and draft my own training session. And if that's how it helps my players, then great. But the most important piece in the equation is that I'm, I'm the medium between what I consume and then what I apply from what I consume to my players. Or in the case of if I'm a professor, if I'm writing, I need to convey my information in such a way that it makes sense to whoever's reading. Or if I'm in front of the classroom teaching, Nobody cares what I know unless I'm able to deliver it to the students in a way that raises questions and leads to critical thinking and then their own application of the knowledge that I have been able to deliver deliver to them. So the process has been very organic in a way, but there's been those key moments and, and key kind of processes for myself where you know, with the guidance of my mentors, both in the academia and in the world of coaching, um, I've been fortunate to have the time to reflect and, and really ask those difficult questions of me in terms of, okay, why would I, why, why would I even bother watching a training session by Pep Guardiola? Oh, okay, because I aspire my team to play a version of his team, so I need to see if there's principles that apply to both teams for example and then it's my job to think about okay what do my players know what are they able to execute and then how do i how do i learn from observing or reading or watching so that my players can learn from me because i'm the conduit between them and what i'm consuming that's a that, that was a great long answer mika okay <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> no it's something that is it's applicable and, and very, very helpful for coaches to hear that as well, because we can, it's so easy. It's so easy for coaches to get lost in like what you mentioned, you know, the, the Twitter stream of constant videos and blogs and kinds of stuff like that. And I wrote about it recently and, and I, I didn't, I didn't put it as gracefully as, as you did, but it's, it was the same sentiment. It's that, you know, at some point you have to, you have to figure out, okay, what is, what is actually useful for, for my players? Like I, okay, cool. Like I can learn, I can, I can intake all of this 
information, but do I really need to? Is it really necessary for me to do all this if it's not going to be something that I use? Um, right. And, and then I, I want to go back to something else that you said. I wrote this down. Is yeah. That, is that you have to, at some point, you have to consume a, a, a ton of information just to know what is out there. Without going right. through that process, you don't know how to determine what is good, what is bad, what is useful, what is not useful. So at some point in your educational pathway, you have to go through that process. And over time, yeah. you're able to to decipher or, or determine what is is best for you. And, and that's going to be different for everybody. And, yeah. and I think that's important for coaches to talk about. Absolutely. And I mean, and I, I mean, I 100 uh, percent can relate to that also from my own kind of evolution as a coach perspective, because the the two seasons that I described of, of me as a player, one of the reasons why I, why I absolutely loved it as a player is that I felt that we were so well coached. We had such a clear game model and a style of play. We had an identity that it was it was a matter of executing the decisions that were based on the principles that were clearly taught to us. So on the one hand, I've looked to the coaches of those teams and 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 reflected on okay, what type of activities and how did they how did they communicate? What were the means of communication? Um, whether it was through film and 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 tactical board or whether it was on the field, uh, whatever the means were. So on the one hand, those coaches have helped me find effective ways of communication. But on the other hand, when I was the young coach and I was just starting, and I thought that I could, hey, I remember this drill as a player. We can just do this, and then it doesn't work. And then my players are looking at me and saying, like, why are you so frustrated? And I'm asking the same question of myself, like, yeah, why am I so frustrated? And then I go back to my academy director or the first team coach, and they're like, well, did you find the right way of communicating how that activity is useful for your game model? And I'm like, mm, no, because, <laughs> because it was the player in me that was excited that it was a great activity that I enjoyed as a player, and we used it on a team whose game model was part of my foundation as a young coach. But the problem is I hadn't found the right language to communicate it to my players. So it wasn't effective at all. So so my, my point is that there are those moments that you have to also own where, you know what, I came up with the wrong activity. I need to do better. And coaching is never linear. And, 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 and I think that's something that I was fortunate to learn early on because then it's been trial and error ever since. And, and I think it always will be. Of course, the, the efficiency ratio by now when I've coached for 15 years, um, I would imagine that it's a lot higher than it was when I was a young coach. And I don't think that I was a bad coach then, but I just think that now when I know more um, and I also dare to try more, um, I think I'm just a, a better coach because I also understand the many, many variables that are in the equation in the art of coaching. A lot of times what coaches forget as well is, you know, if you're going to try something new or, you know, you're, you're going to implement an, yeah, just a, a, a new idea, a new exercise, whatever is that Yeah, it's probably not going to be perfect the first time. And, and if you only, Correct. if you judge it off that first time or the first couple of times, that that's probably not the best way to judge it. It's probably well, I guess the, what I'm trying to get at is that 
the more times that the coach coaches a certain exercise, he's mm-hmm. also becoming more fluent with that as well. And, and that's also time for him to practice or her to practice. And, yes. and that is absolutely necessary. So coaches shouldn't be discouraged, you know, when they try something the first time they get frustrated, they shouldn't throw it in the trash can. They should do right. what you did or what your academy director encouraged yeah. you to do is, hey, how does this actually fit? What can you tweak or what do you need to tweak in order to make this work? And how can I continue to mold this to fit what I'm doing or or, or get what I want out of it? Don't throw it in the trash can. Just right. continue to fix it and tweak it. Yeah. And absolutely. So there's there's also the the kind of the bridge to the academic world. When one one of my favorite areas of of teaching um, in the classroom has always been teaching writing, because it's revision after revision after revision. Yep. And I used to show my students um, my own pieces of writing, pieces that I had ended up publishing, and I showed them what I did to my own first draft just to give them the confidence of, listen, if, if you have a little bit of red or blue ink, whichever I happen to be using, just take it as a compliment because I care about you learning it. And here's, here's what I do to myself. So if this is what I do to myself in terms of reflecting and looking at how I can learn from my first go at it, by all means, you, you should embrace your opportunity to have the same experience. So, so I think, you know, going back to the topic of coaching, that needs to happen for coaches as well, like you said. I want to go back to writing, actually, because yeah. I, 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 I'm by no means a, a good writer. We, I, I write a very different style. I don't write in, in an academic style at all. It's very, you know, very short. Very, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it to be honest. But one of the one of the influences on the way that we run our business, our podcast, our blog, mm-hmm. everything is is a business called copy blogger and and one of the articles that they wrote a long long time ago on their website was um write with a knife and so basically yeah. the the idea is put all of your ideas down on 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 paper or or, or mm-hmm. type everything out and and get as much out as possible and then go through yeah. with a knife and cut out all the stuff that you do not need to make your point like if yeah. you can make your point do it in a, in as little amount as words as, as possible and it actually goes back to what you were talking about earlier that if academia is writing for academia, okay, what does that do for the layperson? And so right. we we are I try to write in a way we try to write in a way that is exactly for the layperson. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be complicated, and and that sentiment carries over to coaching as well. Like if you go to show up with a training session or a training plan that you know is three pages long for one exercise, it's like that. How are you going to translate that on the field to your players? Like write with a knife and cut right. half that crap out or, or, you know, 99% of it out and, and just get, get what you need. But that also only comes with time. So you only, you can only discover what is necessary by doing it over and over and over again. And so, you know, your first time is going to look different than your 100th time doing a very simple exercise. For sure. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I don't know if that, there was no question. There it was more of just me soapboxing. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I mean, but I, I, I relate to that 100%. Uh, at the end of every interview, I always ask the, the guest, what do people need to know? And I've never had this type of conversation about education before. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe, maybe tailor uh, an, an answer to that question to education. I've never asked anybody to tailor that, that, that answer either. So, but when it comes to education, coaching education, or 
just education on a, on a broader scale, what do you think is the most important thing for people to know? I think the, the diversity and complexity of, of getting educated is the number one thing. Um, if you think about it, people pursue the licenses or the formal, formal diplomas, um, I think almost by default. Um, and, and as I think we've, we've, uh, mentioned often enough, um, I strongly believe in the value of the formal path, but I don't think that it should be the default path because there's a lot of positions, for example, where you don't necessarily need a certain level of license or a diploma. And in fact, you would learn more if you went to a coaching education course by, let's say, the ECNL or the, you know, the World Football Academy or, you know, what do what a lot of, um, I think, young coaches are now doing. They're, they're just taking their spring break and they're going to different environments to observe. I mean, we have a lot of great coaches in this country. And they, one of the things that I think makes them great um, is that they're so available for guests. Hey, go watch a training session. You know, go watch a training session at your local colleges or or the the high level club teams that you know who develop good players. So, to me, that will be the number one thing to 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 dare to broaden the 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 view of how can you be educated, because I mean, uh, again, as much as it is a cliche, but but. To me, when I think of my children, I have three children. And when I think of, um, you know, especially coming from Finland, that ranks number one in the world in education. And it's a choice for my wife and I to have them educated in American public schools. Um, there's so much more to education than just the formal path. There's the interactions with, between your peers. There's the interactions with the, with the community um, that happen parallel with that formal path. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something that I would zoom in on and see like, okay, kind of kind of what we talked about in terms of having the right type of analytical mindset in terms of which videos to watch or which blogs to read. Similarly to that, do I now need to go for the advanced diploma or would I be better off maybe taking a spring break trip to Europe and go watch training at Benfica or training at Valencia or whatever it might be, or, you know, just go and visit Robbie church at Duke for a day. And then next day go to UNC and observe Anson Dorrance. And then Tim Santoro at NC state three days in a row of high level coaches who have different styles of play, different styles of coaching. Um, so yeah, I mean that no one's ever asked me that question before. And I really appreciate you asking John, because I, I do think, it is important to consider, okay, what what is it that I need as a coach the most? What is it that my players need from me as a coach in, in terms of my development so that I can best serve my players? Well, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this phone call with a ton of energy because you hit on a lot of important topics and, and things that I'm very passionate about. And I think that people that listen to this podcast are going to get a lot out of hearing you talk about those important topics and, and hopefully, you know, as, as, as they're, you know, finishing up this episode, they feel energized to go out and just reach out to their local college coach or pro coach or, uh, an ECNL, ECNL Academy and, and to go out and, and, 
And yeah, di- diversify their education because that is super important, man. I'm super glad that you decided to touch on that. So thank I'm, you. I'm humbled by your gratitude, John. I really appreciate it. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I, I love talking about the game. Um, I don't tweet much because <laughs> I, I, I could not then not interact with the people who would tweet back at me. But any chance I get to have an actual in-person conversation, whether it's over the phone or in person, uh, I love that. So I'm, I'm always happy to talk with people. And, and uh, hopefully uh, the listeners got something out of this one as well. Absolutely, man. Where where can people find some of your some of your work? Because it sounded like you've you've published a couple papers or, or books and, and you also are on you are on Twitter. That's how, how we can. Yeah. So if, if people want yeah. to find out more about you, where can they go and, and what can they do to connect with you? Um, most of my writing has been outside of sports, but I've done a couple of, uh, encyclopedia articles for, um, American sports. Um, but then, I mean, Google searches, I mean, I've, I've published a book on Star Wars. Um, I've, I've written chapters on, on, uh, books on Stephen King. Um, I've published a book on, on the culture of, uh, heavy metal music. So there's, there's a lot out there and it's probably worth, worth another, worth another conversation in terms of how eclectic it is. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the best way would be just do Google searches. Um, you know, that would, that would at least produce some of the books, uh, that I've published. And then, uh, like I said, there's, there's a, well, I've also, yeah, I've, I've published ESL textbooks as well. So I guess it's really eclectic. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I really appreciate your time and, and I, I, wish you the best of luck with uh with the rest of your coaching career as well because you're in a you're in a good spot right now um but it yeah. sounds like you want you want that a license and you want to progress to the next level so all, all the best man yeah thank you john i appreciate it. with the with the richmond kickers we're we're excited about where, where we're headed and and um, i'm excited to be working who i'm working for right now so really really appreciate the reach out and and like i said i enjoyed the conversation and, and look forward to keeping in touch All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.